Um, but today, I wanted to take just a few moments and talk, uh, share a message that's on my heart for today. If you have a Bible, we're going to be eventually in Acts chapter 10. Um, but um, to start out, we had a, uh, you know, you could almost call it a death in the family this week. Billy Graham passed away this week, and some of you, most of you would know who Billy Graham is. He really was America's pastor. A lot of people would know him. as There's a picture of him from several years ago. You can't really see it because of the quality of the picture. That's in a stadium, and we have a video clip we're going to show later on in the service, but you see just these stadiums that Billy Graham would do these crusades. He was the pastor to so many presidents. Presidents would have him into the White House to pray over them or to, to be involved in different things. You might have remembered this. Um, growing up, I remember there would be certain, certain nights throughout the year where on network television it was Billy Graham Crusade, and it would be, you know, prime time, 8 to 9 p.m. on NBC or whatever, an hour-long Billy Graham Crusade, and he's preaching the gospel and praying. And I just remember, I think back to that, and I know it's a different world today, but I thought, man, that is amazing that that was, his voice was really so well-respected um, so well received that it was network television, these, these crusades that he would go and speak to stadiums of tens of thousands of people and then millions of people um, watching on television. This week, if you've been you know, following the news or looking online or different articles written, so many people giving tribute to, to Billy Graham and so many of them saying, thank you so much for your ministry and your service because, and they would say this, I was one, I was at a crusade, and, and they would name the city, St. Louis, or wherever it was, and I was one of the lives that came forward to receive salvation that day, and my life was changed. So many people, what an amazing, amazing legacy that he had. It was estimated, now in 2007, um, Billy Graham, you know, he was, he was getting really old, and his, his health was failing over several years, but... In 2007, it was kind of leading up to what was widely known that was going to be his final crusade. And um, actually, I don't know if that was 2007, whenever it was. But in 2007, they were kind of doing an estimate of this lifelong legacy of doing these crusades, preaching the gospel to so many people around the world. And it was estimated, because of course we could never know for sure, but it was estimated that over his lifetime, Billy Graham had preached the gospel to more than 215 million people in 185 countries. And that's live. That's like in person. And so that's not counting those he reached through television and radio. He spoke boldly. I was watching several video clips online of different crusades that he did. And there was a, a video clip of him in the 1980s, praying the invocation at the start of an Arkansas, University of Arkansas football game. And he prays the invocation, and it was just this bold prayer. And it was pray for the people involved, but he also prayed that we would recognize that there is a higher game in life that we need to take seriously, and it comes down to our relationship in Jesus. And he is always so boldly proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ. And it was so well received, and that was one of the things that stands out about Billy Graham was that his message was bold, but yet was so well received. There was such a respect for him as a person. He had such personal integrity. There was never, there wasn't the moments where there was scandal in the news about what Billy Graham really is like behind the scenes. He was a man of personal integrity. But another thing that stands out about me, as I've been reading this week and, uh, and thinking back to all those crusades I saw on television, I never had the, the pleasure of being in you know, seeing him in person preach one of these um, messages. But what stood out to me 
was that his life was one that was on mission. It had a singular focus. He was so focused. He knew he was on this earth for one thing, and that was to preach the gospel, to preach, the, to, preach to those who hadn't heard the gospel and to see people come to Christ. And it was actually 2005. Sorry, I got my dates mixed up. 2005, when he was getting ready for his final crusade, he was being interviewed, and I don't remember who was doing the interview, but I read an article this week that had a quote. Now, this at the time, the people were interviewing him, and they were saying, you know what, Dr. Graham, so many other preachers, so many other pastors and religious leaders, they're involved in other things, other social agendas or political parties or other things, um, things that are important to them. Um, they are very outspoken on different political and social things. But Billy Graham, you've never really done that. Why is that? And his answer stood out to me. And I've got it on the screen. Well, maybe I don't have it on the screen. Um, but it says this. The quote was this. They asked him, why aren't you involved in all these other things? And he quoted this. This was his answer. If I get on these other subjects, it divides the audience on an issue that is not the issue I'm promoting. I'm just promoting the gospel. I love that quote. He says, if I get involved in all these other things, which there's nothing wrong with them, it's going to divide the audience on something that's not first and foremost what I'm here to do. I'm here to promote the gospel. His life had a singular focus. That was in his heart. He wanted to be about one thing, and that was Jesus. Which reminds us of Jesus, doesn't it? His life was lived with a very singular focus. He was on a mission. And if you've read the scripture, you've probably heard these words, even if you haven't read them, you've heard them mentioned before. But these words where Jesus would define his mission on earth as this, I'm here to seek and to save the lost. I'm here to seek and to save those who are lost. And that quote from him can be found in Luke chapter 19. And if you know the Bible, you know that that is part of the story of Zacchaeus. And if you grew up in Sunday school, you used to sing a song about Zacchaeus, didn't you? Everyone's kind of nodding. He was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And we all remember what kind of tree he climbed up to, because it was in the song, right? The sycamore tree. Why did he do it? For the Lord he wanted to see, right? We got it. People who didn't go to Sunday school are thinking, this people are crazy. <laughs> but we used to sing songs about wee little men climbing up trees. Now, what's wrong with that? But the story of Zacchaeus was he was a tax collector. And I've mentioned this before. In that day and age, the Jewish people, they were occupied by the Roman Empire. And so the Roman Empire had military leaders and soldiers and peacekeepers there to really rule and reign over the Jewish people. And what they would do is they would have tax collectors collecting money from the Israelites, from the Jews, and then giving it to the Roman Empire. Tax collectors were Jewish people, but they were seen as total sellouts and traitors because they were taking money from the Jewish people and funneling it to the evil Roman Empire. And Zacchaeus was one of these tax collectors. So the day comes, and Jesus is walking along, and Zacchaeus climbs the tree and wants to see Jesus, and Jesus looks up there and says, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. Is that how the song goes? For tea? For tea? It's not for tea. Is it not for it, going to your house? To, now there's today. This is like one of a thousand times my wife and I have disagreed on, no, that's not what the song says, and I'm going to have to Google it today, but I think I might actually be right. This might be the first time in the history of disagreeing on anything that, uh, that I'm right. Um, but we'll find out. I could be wrong. But he says, Zacchaeus, come down here. I'm going to go to your house. I'm going to go to your house. And that was scandalous because, again, Jewish people, 
hated the tax collectors, hated everything to do with Rome. In addition to that, religiously, they were all about the Old Testament law, the law of Moses that said you don't associate with unclean people who would definitely be people like Zacchaeus. And you certainly don't go into their house, and you certainly don't share a meal with them, because this was ceremonially just such an important thing, who you shared a meal with, who you went into their house. This was something of utmost importance in the Jewish law. And now Jesus is breaking all the rules, goes to Zacchaeus' house, hears about this faith that is in Zacchaeus, and then he says some words that were so key in verse 9 and 10 where we get this life mission of Jesus. Verse 9 and 10 of that story, it says this, Today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is Jesus proclaiming his mission. Because all around him, he's got this meal that he's sharing with Zacchaeus and probably all his tax collector friends. And then you've got the religious leaders who are watching this, who are grumbling and complaining, saying, Jesus says he's a teacher. He's not even good enough to know that you can't eat with these people. You can't associate. So there's all this grumbling going on. And this is Jesus taking a moment to just remind everybody, saying to them, you know what? You're worried about taxes. You're worried about rules and dinners and grumbling about people who are unclean. And Jesus takes this moment and says, but let me remind you why I'm here. Let me remind you. It's not about obeying all these rules. Let me remind you what my mission is. I am here to seek and to save the lost. I'm not going to get caught up in all those other things because it distracts from why I am here. So it seems that a great man of faith like Billy Graham gets his singular mission and focus from Jesus himself. And I think about that story, and I think about those words of Jesus, and I think about the life of a great man like Billy Graham. And I wonder today if there's something we can learn from this. I wonder if every once in a while we just need a simple reminder of what we as a church are supposed to be about, what we are supposed to be really about, because I want us to be about the business of the gospel. I want that to be first and foremost. There's lots of other things, great things that we can get involved in. And I think one of the ways we live for the gospel is to get involved in community outreaches and other organizations. We, Christy and I had a bit of a day yesterday. We had two outings. One of them was with the church, and one of them was just for our family. We started the day getting our kids out to the Mall of America for the, the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation walk at Mall of America. One of our kids, Betty, was diagnosed as type 1 about five, six months ago. So this was our first experience with that. Walking around the mall, probably, you know, thousands and thousands of people there, and a lot of money was raised for diabetes research. Then we followed that up by going to Crystal Lake and jumping in Crystal Lake in the Polar Plunge. Heidi Revels from our church, she organized a team from Homestead to raise money for Special Olympics. And so that was another... Um, fun endeavor. I've been saying fun, but fun is overstating it. Um, it was exciting and invigorating, but it was something. If There's video on Facebook. If you've ever wondered what Christy Kerr looks like when she just completely short circuits and loses her marbles, that is it. In those moments coming out of the water, she, she's not functioning well. She is flailing and look, I think she's trying to swim through the air. Like she just completely lost all consciousness. And I was on the other end, so I was walking out of the water thinking, what has happened? Like, and then you have to get to the end of the, the, the water area, and you have to wait to get up onto the stairs. And by this point, we're all freezing, obviously. But I'm trying to be chivalrous and saying, okay, 
Christy, you, you go after you. you know, and she, but she's still like flailing her arms, wondering what has happened. And I was just like, you got about five seconds to get, or, or else I'm pushing you out of the way because I got to get out of this water. Anyways, it was a super fun day. Both events, lots of money raised for great projects. And I want us as a, as a community to be involved in our community. I love that we had a team of people jumping in a frozen lake. Again, something crazy that only Minnesotans and maybe Canadians do. Um, but I love that. But all of that, as people of faith, has to be kind of secondary to our true mission on this earth. And that is, like Jesus said, to seek and to save the lost. To bring lost people and have them be found by the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. As a church, we're going to have parties and events. We had all those announcements, which got all those woohoo responses today. We're going to have worship nights and great ministry for teenagers and kids. We've got a great kids program going on this morning. In a few weeks, we're going roller skating as a church for our birthday party. We're searching for a building to purchase. We're going to be raising money for that. But all of these things, all of these things are of a singular life focus, aren't they? Because we want to be a community that draws people in with, some people are going to come to roller skating before they're going to come to a worship night. Some people are going to come because their kids are loving kids church and they're like, well, I might as well sit in here while my kids are having fun. There's all these things because we know there's going to be a number of things that are going to draw people into the presence of God. And ultimately, that's why we do it. Amen. Because we want people who are lost to be found. We want that singular mission to be our focus. And we get that from our Savior. We get that from reading Scripture. This is what it is about. Our God is all about lost being found, no matter who you are. And if you're here today and you would say, I might be one of those lost people. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus as your Savior. Today could be the day when you receive that in a moment like that, where you receive the salvation of Jesus Christ and get a new heart and a new life. And I'm hoping and praying that you will do that. It is a decision you have to make on your own. No one's going to make that for you. But we all have to make that decision to choose to follow Jesus and receive his love or choose to reject him. So one story we're going to look at today in the minutes we have left here. In Acts chapter 10, if you have a Bible, there's probably some black hardcover Bibles in the pews you're sitting in. Acts chapter 10 in the New Testament. This is happening. This is within, you know, a few months of when Jesus died. He was crucified. He rose again, and then he ascended into heaven. And the book of Acts is really the rest of the story. So maybe you've only come to church on Christmas and Easter, and you hear the same Christmas and Easter message your whole life. Well, the book of Acts is what happens after that. Jesus has ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit has come and filled the disciples and all the followers of Jesus. And now they are going around this small, what started as a small movement, and they are preaching the gospel to people who haven't heard it. They're preaching about this new movement, this new church that is the church of Jesus Christ. Now, their understanding, the, the initial disciples, they were all Jewish. They were of those people that would have grown up with the Jewish law, but Jesus has shown them a new way. So in their mind, in the first part of Acts... Their thinking, as it logically would be, is that this new faith in Jesus Christ is going to be for the Jewish people. As the Old Testament was all about God's relationship with the Jewish people, now this new faith is going to be about those who are Israelites, those who are Jewish. And so they're going around and they're preaching to primarily Jewish audiences. And the story in Acts chapter 10 is where that all changes. And I love this story. The story is about a man named Cornelius. 
And Cornelius is a Roman centurion, again, a Roman soldier sent to really help Rome occupy Judea and the Jewish people. So again, Cornelius, definitely not somebody who's liked. He's there as an oppressor. He's viewed as an oppressor from the Jewish people. One night, he has a vision from an angel. In Acts chapter 10, you can read this. And it says that Cornelius was God-fearing, and he would offer offerings to the Lord. And so an angel appears to Cornelius one night and basically says to Cornelius, God sees you. He sees your faith. He is pleased by your faith. So now what you have to do, Cornelius, is go to the town of Joppa and find a man named Peter, who was one of the disciples. So Cornelius wakes up. He's never met Peter, but he knows, I got to go find this man named Peter because if an angel appears to you in the middle of the night, you typically want to do what he says or she says. I've got to go find Peter. So that very next day, Peter, who's never heard of Cornelius, he's hungry, he's going up to the rooftop, and he's going to have something to eat. And the story goes that Peter fell into a trance and had a vision. And the vision was from heaven, this blanket being lowered down with all sorts of food on it. And this blanket was lowered down in front of Peter. And so I want to read those verses that when Peter was having this vision, in Acts chapter 10, starting at verse 11 through 14, it says this. This is what Peter saw. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Peter said, Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. So we're going to pause there for a second. This was Peter's Jewish history coming out. His ceremonial laws and rules. Not to mention, it says there was reptiles in there. And if someone says, here, eat this, I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. But Peter was used to Jewish tradition where anything that was ceremonially unclean, he would not eat. And so he's saying, no, I'm not eating that because I'm a good Jewish rule follower. So he says this. He's, and he says, um, he says, I'm not going to eat this. I'm not going to eat anything unclean. And then in verse 15, it says this. The voice spoke to him a second time. Imagine the heavenly voice saying this. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. I love that. Peter is worried about the rules and the ceremonies, and he's saying, I can't eat that. But this is coming from heaven itself, this vision where God is basically sending this food down. And the voice from heaven says, God is providing this. Don't call something unclean that God has made clean. And I imagine Peter feels a little bit sheepish in that moment. In our house, um, Christy... Probably, probably cooks most of the meals. I just think she would say a, a hearty amen to that. Uh, our kids have learned it's never a good idea to be critical of the food that mom makes. Okay, anyone relate to that? And I and I back I back her up on that. She'll try to make something nice, and if any time, and our kids, starting with the oldest, and they've learned it as they grow up. They all get to that age where they're like. I don't like this. Mom, what is this? And they learn pretty quick. No, 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 no. This is something, you eat that because mom made it and you're going to eat it. Well, there was, and really all the time, maybe save a couple of times where she's tried something new. It's been awesome. But the kids will still learn. Even if they don't really care for it, you'll find one of them just kind of sitting there. They're not going to say anything because they know what's going to happen. It's like a voice from heaven. You will eat that. Don't call something unclean that, that Christy has made for you. They'll kind of look around sheepishly, but they're not going to say anything. And then about 15 minutes into dinner, when we notice maybe Charlie hasn't eaten anything, we'll be like, do you not like this? And he'll be like, um, eh. 
it's okay, I guess. And so, like, well, the option is then you can go make yourself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Like, if you don't like what has been made, you can go make yourself a PB&J. Um, there was one day where Christy made a, she makes awesome potato soup, but something must have got mixed up in the recipe, and so she put way too much salt in it. And so we, we all sat down to eat, and then Christy had to get up and get something from the kitchen, so we, I, I took a bite of the soup, and it was like, I mean, they're salty, but this was like melt your face salty. This was like diving into the Dead Sea salty. And so I, didn't, I, I was going to be a good leader in that moment, so I was just like, okay. And I watched the kids all take a bite, and they all took a bite, and they're like, mm, okay, okay. I'm not going to say anything, and Christy was coming back down to sit down at the table, and Dottie, our youngest, who has learned the lesson, you don't be critical of the food that mom's made, she, she phrased it in a way where she was trying to, you know, skirt around the issue. She said, um, mom, did you add salt to this? And Christy said, of course I did, and then we, we just watched, we just waited, and Christy sat down and took a bite, and she kind of went, mmm, she said, uh, I think it might be, this tastes a little salty, and then we were finally like, oh, okay, good, now we can address the, the, the issue at hand, but... That hardly ever happens. In that moment, Peter probably felt like, ooh, I shouldn't have been critical of the food that God provided. He kind of got smacked down a little bit, right? He kind of got smacked down by the voice in heaven saying, God has given this to you. God has declared this okay for you. Don't call it impure or unclean. So after this, Peter wakes up. He wakes up from this trance. He's just kind of seen this vision from heaven. And immediately when he wakes up from this, Somebody comes to him and says, Peter, there's a Roman centurion named Cornelius who has come to see you. And he claims that he's been sent by a vision, by an angel to come see you. I love this story. So Peter, having just seen what he has just seen, Peter, he meets with Cornelius. And then in verse 28 of this same chapter, it says this. He said to Cornelius, he said to them, you are all well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit with a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So obviously God is at work. He's speaking to Cornelius in a vision. He's speaking to Peter in a vision. And Peter has learned his lesson. I'm not supposed to, be, to even associate with you Gentiles. But obviously God has shown me. I am not to call anyone impure or or unclean, and Peter begins to share with Cornelius about the good news of Jesus Christ, this faith and salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. We're going to skip ahead to verse 44 and verse 45, and it says this, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, or the Jewish believers, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. I love that. This was their minds, their whole framework of what God was going to do being expanded. Like, whoa, whoa, even them? Like, wow. This is a key moment for Peter and ultimately the disciples. This is God reaffirming their mission. It's not about ceremony and ritual. You are on mission. Your life has a singular focus like Jesus. It is about the gospel changing lives all lives. It's like the even to them is like the exclamation point on the vision and the mission that Jesus has for his disciples. All lives. I love that that is in there, those words, even on the Gentiles. I love imagining that scene. These Jewish people who were with Peter, first of all, even hesitant to go into this house or to meet with Cornelius. First of all, thinking we're breaking so many rules by even doing this. And then seeing them be saved and the Holy Spirit get poured out on them. I love them thinking like, whoa, like wow, 
Jesus said this was for all people. He said, go into the world. I, I didn't know it meant them. Like, even them? I imagine them thinking that. Wow, them too? I guess he meant it when he said, go into all the world. Well, the story goes on, and then the next chapter, chapter 11, Peter and his you know, associates, they go back and they meet with all the other disciples and all the other apostles. And when the apostles heard this, they were critical. They were critical of Peter because they're still thinking the old way. They said, Peter, what were you doing in the house with the Gentiles? You were associating them. You were sharing a meal with them. Don't you know that that's not the way it's supposed to go? You went into the house of unclean men and ate with them. Well, who does that sound like? That sounds like the people who are complaining about Jesus and Zacchaeus, right? It sounds just like the same line of thinking. And they're still thinking the old way. Their concern was the rules. It was so ingrained with them. And so Peter takes a moment and he explains to them and he says, I get it, guys. I would have thought the same thing, but you don't understand. Vision and angels and blankets and reptiles and food and heavenly voices. He explains the whole thing. He explains the whole thing to them. And then finally in verse 18 of chapter 11, it says this. It'll be up on the screen. When they heard this, when the apostles heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then... Here's these words again. Even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. The even them is my favorite part of this story, right? I love that, even them. It reminds us that our mission is singular and focused to, bring, to see God bring new life to people. Even them, even them. We have some even them stories in our church. And maybe you are here, and you, I mean, some of you are probably like me. You grew up in church your whole life, and when people hear that you're a Christian, they're like, yeah, I kind of I figured. But we've got some even them stories in our church where we've got some lives, and they go back to some people they knew in their former life, and they tell them, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, I go to church, and they get the, what? <laughs> you know, you, no, you can't, no, there's no way, kind of like the even, even them, like God's mercy was even for you. I was with a friend of mine, and we were, we were going to pick up a tool he, we were borrowing from another friend. And this guy introduced me and says, this is Jeff, he's my pastor. And the guy, his friend was like, pastor? What? No, you, you're pastor? It was kind of like, there's no way. There's no way you're a church guy. And he just kind of went on and went on and went on to the point where even later, this friend of mine said, yeah, my buddy texted me and said, I'm so sorry. I made you look bad in front of your pastor. He's like, no, it's fine. It's fine. I love those stories of like, whoa, even them, even them, they had their lives changed by Jesus. They were so far gone. Even them, even that guy, maybe you know someone in your life, like, even that guy got saved? Like, what? This is, like, this is amazing that God has done this. Well, I, I love those stories, and I'm excited for more stories like that in our church, more even them stories, okay? I want so many even them stories. There are friends that I have that I'm getting to know that are far from God. They are far from God. And all I think about whenever I'm hanging out with them, all I'm thinking is it's going to be so fun when they get saved. It's going to be just amazing to see God pour out his grace on even them. I just know that the more we're around them, we're just going to build relationships and we get to watch God do his thing. And God's going to come in and his Holy Spirit's going to come in and absolutely just wreck them and they are going to be saved and it's going to be an awesome even them story. I want these stories. This is a reminder for Homestead Church, like Billy Graham, like the apostles, like Jesus, that we are on 
mission, we must have a focus on what is important, what we are here to do, and that is lost people found, even them, even them, even them, even them. And there's going to be days, there's going to be days where somebody's going to come to our church, they're going to walk into this room or whatever building we have at that time, and all of our, you know, Midwest morals and our Minnesota nice and our clean living and all the things, like, we've got everything put together. We're going to see people and we're going to say, whoa, even them? Like, oh, even them? And the reminder is yes, 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 all people, right? Even them. And God is going to say to us, as he said to Peter that day, don't call something unclean that I have made clean. Don't say something is unworthy that I have said I can save even them. Don't exclude somebody because I have welcomed them in, even them. It is for all people, right? I like to picture today, Billy Graham, I think it was Wednesday when he died, you know, so he's been in heaven, and I don't know how time works in heaven, probably not like this, but he's been there, according to our time reference, for, what, four or five days, and I love to imagine him just getting a glimpse of, like, the sea of people that are there because of his ministry, and he'd be the first one to say, it's nothing I did, it's all Jesus, he did all the work. But to see the people that are there saying, I was, I'm here because I was at a Billy Graham crusade. I'm here because my grandfather went to a Billy Graham crusade, and that changed his family, which changed my family. I'm here because I love picturing just that, that scene today. Imagine what an honor that is to, to stand in heaven and to be, you know, overwhelmed by the mercy of Jesus, but then humbled by, you mean, what I did on earth caused these people to make it to heaven? Like that... That's amazing. And I love picturing that vision, and I imagine for Billy Graham, there's a long line of people, right, waiting, hey, thank you. I'm sure he's like, okay, thank you, you're welcome, <laughs> you know, I didn't do anything. But one day that's going to be each of us, right? We're going to be standing before God. We're going to be standing before God, because heaven awaits those who are in Christ, who have Christ as their Savior. And this would be the message that Billy Graham preached so many times. It's your decision to choose Christ and his salvation, to have eternal life with Jesus, or to reject him and to reject God. And each of us are going to have that moment. And I want for each of you a moment like that, where you're standing in heaven, and there are people there because of what you did on earth. There are people there because you lived each day with that mission, that singular focus. You didn't get distracted by the things, the cares of this world. You didn't forfeit days and months and years of your life chasing after other things because you had a singular mission where you said, it's about the cause of Christ. It is about lost people found. And so I want moments like that for you where you stand there and you're like, whoa, these people are here because of something I said, because I got the courage to invite them to church or I got the courage to share the gospel with them or because I was just simply nice to them or all those things. And you say, wow, them, even them, it might be like, even you made it too. Wow. You know, one of those things like, and in that moment, we are all, each of us going to be so glad for every moment we spent on earth for the cause of Christ, right? We're going to be so glad we're not going to see anything that we did as a waste of time that we did for the cause of Christ. And the other stuff we lived for, the stuff we worried about, the stuff we spent our days pursuing, the stuff that divided our hearts or distracted us, those things will have gone away and melted away, and only the things we did for God are going to be there. And I want us to have those moments where we say, look at the people who are here because of the investment we made in the cause of Christ. I want that to be our focus, and we can decide that now. We still have days on this earth to do that, to do that work, to have that singular focus, lost people found, and I want that for the people of this church.
And for everything else that we do as a church, when we come to church, you might be thinking, I'm just coming to church because it's something that Minnesotans are supposed to do on Sunday morning. I want us to think bigger than that. We're coming to church to be a part of a family of God that is on mission to see lost people found. When we serve at church, we're not just watching kids or making coffee or serving on a worship team. We are coming because we want to be a part of something that is a mechanism for the people of God to gather around, to sing praises to him, and then to go out and reach people. When we go to a membership class, it's not going to be about, well, now I'm on the inside, and now I'm one of the important people, and all that stuff. No, it is a membership class. Members of this church are going to be, we're in because we believe in the mission of this church, and you can count on us to go out and to bring the lost people to Jesus, to keep us on mission. When we give, or when we give to a camp, we're going to start a campaign in a couple of months about raising money to go buy a building that we want to have. It's not so that we can just be, hey, we got a building, you know, yay, look at that. It is, we want to have a tool that God can use in so many ways to have lost people be found in Jesus Christ. This is why we do everything we do. It is our focus. It's our mission. So today, as we wrap up, there's a couple things you may be here today, and you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never given your life to Jesus, and you don't know what your relationship with God is like. And you can make that decision today. You can make that decision today and know that you are right with God, that you are saved, that you'll be in heaven. And if you've ever seen a Billy Graham crusade, you know this is how he wrapped it up. It was the altar call moment, right? It was the altar call. You all know the song that was singing. Everyone know the song, Just As I Am, for like... 50 years, I'm sure he was in the back of his mind thinking, maybe I should think of a new song to play. I'm getting tired of this one. But there was always that moment. So as we wrap up today, I wanted to end today. I found a video clip of the last kind of three minutes of a Billy Graham crusade in 1985. So we're going to play that video, and then I'm going to wrap it up together. I'm asking you tonight to say to Christ, I will receive you into my heart. Well, what do you have to do? You have to repent of sin. That means that you say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry. I'm willing to change my way of living. I'm willing for you to come and help change me like you did Mike. And then you must receive him by faith. That means you put your confidence in him. You've put your commitment in him. You're committed to him for life and forever. And no other gods will be there but him. And he's going to be first in your life from now on. If you have a doubt about your relationship to Christ, you come and settle it tonight. I'm going to ask you to do something that we've seen thousands of people do. I'm going to ask you to come and stand in the outfield out here and say tonight, I open my heart to Christ. I've got excuses, but they're only excuses. And some of the excuses will be that you're too far away. It'll take too long. Yes, from that top deck up there, it takes about six or seven minutes. So start now. Now, why do I ask you to come forward publicly? Because every person Jesus called in the New Testament, he called publicly. He said, if you're not willing to acknowledge me publicly before men, I'll not acknowledge you before God, my Father. I'm going to ask you to come publicly and openly. I'm going to ask that no one leave the stadium now. This is the holy moment of this service. Don't leave. And if you're up in that upper deck, go down and around. And if you're with friends or relatives or in a bus, they'll wait. And after you've come, I'm going to say a word to you and have a prayer with you and give you some literature that'll help you in your Christian life. It won't take long. But even if it does take long, come anyway. 
from all over, whatever language you speak or whoever you are. You may be a member of the choir and you've been here several nights and God has been speaking with you. And many of you are in the church, but God has been speaking to you. And you know that you need to come and make this commitment to Christ. There are excuses, oh yes. The devil is giving you some new ones right now. You get up and come. We're going to wait. As hundreds are already on the way, you join them. So great. Imagine, you know, what a privilege for Dr. Billy Graham to have those moments where night after night, he, I mean, just the sea of people coming. I heard a funny story of a pastor that was with Billy Graham once, and he was thinking more, um, you know, pragmatic and practical speaking. He's like, why do you, you got seats everywhere. You're missing, like, you could set up another thousand seats right here on the outfield. Why did you leave that whole space blank? You could fit another 5,000 people down here. And they said, well, that's the altars. That's where people come to receive Christ after we needed the space. And that pastor's like, oh, yeah, my bad. I didn't think about that. What a privilege for him to be able to see those moments, people giving their faith. And I want that for you, and I want that for me as well, just those moments where we can see people come to faith. But I want to do this. Um, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And we don't end services this way all the time, but, you know, in, uh, in honor of a great man like Billy Graham, we can do an old-fashioned sinner's prayer. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray something. I'm going to pray something. The whole church is going to repeat it. And uh, we're going to pray this together. And if you are someone who has never prayed this prayer, and in your heart you have faith and you believe it, in a moment like this, you can receive the salvation of Jesus Christ. And then your life is new. You are now a follower of Christ. You are now a child of God. And you have received salvation. And the old is gone and the new has come. And you are being made brand new through Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray something, a line at a time. And I ask that the whole church would repeat it. And then we'll close the service in prayer. So repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. And I need your mercy. I believe you died for me and rose again. I receive your salvation. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, we take a moment. We just thank you for the, the call that you have on each of us to be a part. It's the same call you had on the Apostle Peter. Same call that you had on Cornelius, the Roman centurion, and millions from that day to us. It's the same call that you had on Dr. Billy Graham 
and you have on each of us to be a part of your family, to receive your mercy and salvation, and now to live for you with that singular mission of seeing more people brought into the family, more people who are lost become found in Jesus Christ. What an honor, what a privilege. It may not be standing in front of stadiums, but that's okay. We want you to use us in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our workplaces, because that's where you have us. So, Lord, this week I pray for each of us that you would have a moment where we sense you're, in, you're tugging on our heart, a voice from heaven like for Cornelius or Peter where you're saying, talk to that person, share that person. And we might say, even them, and you're saying, yes, even them. We want to be open to you using us, and we just can't believe that you would include us in this process of you changing eternities and generations, and we thank you for that. I pray that you would allow this church to prosper and bear fruit and to go into our community and see your light change people. Thank you that we get to be a part of it. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen.